Okay, so this morning I'm going to start with something I've never done before, which is um, I have a magic trick. But since there's no such thing as magic, really, um, we're going to do like a, I guess you'd call it a, a laws of physics trick. So here is a cup that's empty, and here is a little bottle of water that's full. And here's a little, um, where you can use this as a, as a, what do they call it? A washer? Or when you put it down? Coaster. Coaster. It's a little bit wet. Okay, so. I am going to pour this water. And it, it's regular water. Like, it just, you know, it does what water does, right? You pour it, it goes down. And I'm going to pour it into this cup. All the way up to the top. And then I'm going to take this coaster. Now, there's nothing special about this. It's just like a little thin piece of paper, I promise. There's no glue on it on either side. I wish I had my lovely assistant, Jen, up here. She is watching our sick kids. So now I'm going to take this coaster and I'm going to put it on top of this cup. Okay, it's a very thin coaster. I'm going to turn this over. Now, what do you think is going to happen when I let go? Yeah, the water's going to fall out, right? There must be glue on that coaster, right? There must be... I mean, raise your hand if you thought this water was going to come out. Come on. I mean, it's just a coaster, right? Like, watch. I mean... Who would have thought, if you hadn't seen some TV show probably, or you don't remember your science class, because I certainly didn't, that that much water would have stayed in that cup turned upside down with a thin piece of paper at the bottom? We'll get that later. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't have thought that. Does anybody know what happened? Chris, not you. You're a physics math teacher. Anybody else know what happened? Bob. Surface tension? It wasn't surface tension. Vacuum pressure or air pressure, right? What happened is something no one would have been, been able to intuitively expect. Like, no one would have intuitively guessed that, the way we think gravity and water work. But that's impossible not to happen because what happened is the air pressure is driving the the coaster up and there's no more air pressure in that water because it's in that cup because it was driven out by the water the air pressure was driven out by the water so you had probably what 27 pounds at least if not more we could do a little measuring stick but we had we had like 27 or something pounds of air pressure pushing that little piece of paper up against a cup that had no air pressure pushing it down there was more weight pushing that little coaster up then there was weight pushing it down. No one could have anticipated that intuitively, I don't think. But you know, it doesn't matter what we were going to intuitively think. What matters is that the laws of cause and effect are laws that can't be thwarted without another law coming in to thwart them. 
the air pressure on the lid caused, the air pressure going up on the lid caused the effect of keeping the water in that glass cup. God has made a universe of laws. He's made a universe of physical laws. And God has made a universe of spiritual laws. And no matter what we think or what we believe or what we imagine is going to happen, it's those laws, physical laws on one hand and spiritual laws on the other hand, that dictates the outcomes (laughs) that happen in this life. And so today we're going to talk about a couple of really big spiritual laws that we can, using an illustration like this, recognize that regardless of what we think, are going to maintain truth. Would you guys please read Galatians 6 through 9 with me? This is the very word of the Lord. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Let's pray. Lord, I think it was Ken who said this before he preached a few weeks ago, Lord. I just resonate with this, Lord. Offer my uh, couple of loaves and a few fishes uh, that are imperfect. But I give them to you, Lord, the perfect master who's able to make my imperfections, my weaknesses, Um, still usable by you because you get in there and you do it. And so I pray, God, that in Jesus' name, through the power of the Holy Spirit, once again, as your people gather together before your word, you would do what you do. Through your spirit, you would correct, cleanse, encourage, give hope, give power, give life, and change us. Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit of God would take the word of God and make us look, as we leave today, more like the Son of God. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So each day, these physical and spiritual laws govern our lives. And each day, we have this law before us of reaping and sowing. And it's the way life works physically and spiritually. And each day, God sets before us another set of opportunities to sow into our flesh or to sow into his spirit. And each day, he's promised that what we do with those opportunities will have real consequences. We will reap what we sow. But each day, we face two dangers that Paul wants to address in this passage. Number one, we can deny this truth that we reap what we sow. We can... Live as if it's not true and do whatever we please in our flesh. Or number two, another underrated but equally powerful and big danger is that we can, in our attempts to live this truth and to protect ourselves from this truth and to make sure everything gets done right, we can live so burdened and so weary and anxious that quickly we get exhausted and we give up. But the truth is that we can neither deny this certain principle of reaping what we sow, nor can we sow in our own strength 
without becoming exhausted and or cynical. So we have to agree with God about this principle, and yet we must learn to lean into him for the strength to wisely understand it and live our lives in light of it. And today I want to look at this passage in, in really two big parts. And um, number one is, is simply this part. All of life is sowing towards a harvest. All of life is sowing towards a harvest. Verse 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. The word mock here, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. It has a literal image of a person sticking up their nose at someone else. It's the image of one person despising another, the importance, the dignity, the worth of another, and instead of treating them with contempt or indifference. And Paul wants something confronted at the outset, which is that tendency for us to self-delude ourselves about God. And how do we mock God? We mock God in this context when we deny the principle, he says, of reaping and sowing. When we live as if our behavior Our hearts, our minds, our thoughts, our acts don't have consequences. We mock God when our decisions say to him, whether we mean it or not, consciously, you aren't really paying attention. This doesn't really matter to you, even though you say it does. You aren't really that holy. You aren't really a God of justice. But Hebrews 4 tells us that God is a God who sees and considers all that we think. It says that God knows the thoughts and the intentions of our hearts. There's no creature hidden from his sight. All things are laid bare and open to him. In Matthew 12, Jesus tells us that God is a God who considers all that not just we say, but think, but all that we say. He says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give an account for every careless word they speak. Second Corinthians 5 tells us a God who considers not just what we think and not just what we say, but all we do. Paul says there, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And Paul is saying here about mocking, that when you disregard these truths, when you live as if God isn't caring about what you think, what you say, or what you do, you're, you're mocking him. You're despising his godhood. So Paul says, don't be deceived at the outset. We will reap what we sow. There's a certain harvest coming for the thoughts, words, and actions we allow to come out of our lives. And he amplifies that in the next verse. The one who sows to his own flesh will from that flesh reap corruption. That word flesh is used a lot in the Bible. Depending on what version you use, you might see it as flesh, or you might see it as carnal, or you might see it as sinful nature. But from the context of Galatians and the rest of the Bible, flesh just, we know it means it's just the human person without regard to God. It's that part of us that in our inner heart, we just have this attitude of unbelief, living for self without regard to knowing and loving and worshiping God. And flesh can look super religious, right? Like, and we all know this. It can look very solemn and very ritualistic and, or it can look super hedonistic, like all about pleasure. It can look full of self-confidence, even in religious self-confidence, like a cable TV evangelist who's peddling a false gospel. You don't have to be on cable TV and be, you can be a good preacher on cable TV. I'm not knocking cable TV, but that's just kind of a, a cliche. So it can look like a really religious, confident guy. Or, on the other hand, it can look like a really cool, cynical, depressing lead singer of a rock band. You know, I think of, like, when I was a kid growing up, Kurt Cobain and the band, band Nirvana. He was so cool because he was so cynical. Like, nothing in this world mattered. It was all just trash 
And it looked cool. It looked almost dignified. But he was also mocking God. He was living as if God's love, God's power, God's awesomeness didn't matter. So it can look all kinds of different ways. But the central issue is you're operating out of the flesh. And it's this human activity that's not springing out of a relationship of love and of worshiping the living God. We may not be able to tell that we're doing that. But eventually, we keep sowing into that flesh. We'll start to reap and see the effects of it. Paul says in Galatians earlier, he says, The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, which means simply just living completely for sensual pleasures. It doesn't mean necessarily sex. It can just mean food or TV or anything that's just about this earth without regard to God. Idolatry, sorcery, enmities, hatreds towards each other, strife, jealousy, outward bursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Important to know Paul's word practice. He doesn't mean that sometimes we don't struggle with these things or dabble in these things. He means they become a lifestyle for us. They become what we practice. And when we're not doing those things, but we're sowing into the Spirit, Paul says that's equally obvious. The fruit of the Spirit comes. That's love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, Paul says. So when you sow into anything without a true regard to live God's way, by walking in God's truth, by trusting in God's power, what you eventually reap is spiritual death and corruption and decay. And this has consequences. We all experience them, bigger and lesser degrees in this life. It has consequences in our marriages, in our parenting, in our churches, in our physical health even. But the ultimate consequences that are most fearsome are the ones that come before God at the end of our lives. For the true Christian, this can mean a loss of heavenly reward. And that's another message for another time. But for the false or non-Christian, it means eternal punishment in hell. So Paul is saying to us all, whether we reap some consequences in this life or see them fully, he's just saying, I want to warn you and protect you by telling you, don't be deceived. The spiritual laws govern the universe just like the physical laws govern the universe. You are sowing towards some harvest. Don't be deceived. Don't mock God by acting as if he's indifferent to how you're sowing. But it's easy to be deceived. I mean, the consequences of our decisions and the certainty of God's judgment They just seem remote and far away in the moment, right? Sowing and reaping, we've talked about this before long ago. Sowing and reaping do not happen at the same time. Just ask anybody with a garden or any farmer. The earth does not work like Google. You don't just hit the keyboard and get your answer right away. You dig and then you plant. And then you water, and then you clear, and then you water some more, and then you prune, and then you water some more. But you know what you do most? You just wait. You do a great deal of waiting. It takes time, often, for reaping what we sow. And for many of us, the time between sowing and reaping allows us to remain in kind of a deluded state. So we might indulge in hateful or cruel thoughts about someone And nobody knows. But over time, we just start to reap bitterness, joylessness, pain. We yell at our child in anger once again. But they comply. 
Like it just gets the job done quickly. Our anger seems like it mobilizes their obedience more than careful talking and careful training. So we're fine. We just let that go again and again and again and again. But what is that doing to our relationship with our kid over time? We demean or ignore our wife. We just sow into working and making an idol out of achievement and fearing consequences of disregarding our job. And we make her pay for that. But she takes it. She's compliant. She's kind. She's sweet. She doesn't want to get into trouble with us. But what's that doing to our marriage and to her heart? We waste our time at work on social media, but nobody's around. We're stealing from our company effectively, but we don't get fired. We ignore the poor with our finances. We keep it to ourselves. But the raises keep coming. The prosperity keeps coming. We spend all our free time on the phone watching movies. And we give God no meaningful time in prayer or his word. But the days seem to go fine. Or they don't. And we're just kind of addicted to it. Because our brains are so wired now to social media. Or we click on that website once again to see things that we should never see. (laughs) To see people dressed or not dressed. Ways we never should see. But nobody knows. And because the time between doing those things and reaping from it can sometimes take a long time, we can be deceived and think that there's no reaping that's going to happen. And Paul just shouts into that, don't be deceived. Just like the physics, the laws of physics control the universe, the spiritual laws control souls as well and God. You will reap what you sow. But then Paul changes course here and he he goes on to tell us about another law. Remember I said that the law of physics... One important law, it's going to stay until it's upended or changed by another law. And he says, look for another type of sowing and receive another type of harvest. He says in verse 8, the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. So don't sow into the flesh, he says. Sow into the spirit. And I love this. I love that he says this. And I, I think we just got to slow down and ask, what does he mean? What do we think he means easily, intuitively? What do our intuitions tell us he means? But what does he really mean? Because I think at this point, it's really crucial to address something. He says, don't sow to the flesh, sow to the spirit. Don't reap from the flesh, reap from the spirit. Whatever Paul means here, when he says the one who sows the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. He cannot mean... And this is so glorious and so hopeful. He cannot mean that we rescue ourselves and that we earn our salvation. That we protect ourselves from reaping of the flesh through our own efforts and through our performance and through our changing ourselves to lead godly lives. The central theme of the whole book of Galatians is the law that upends the law of reaping and sowing. It's the law of justification by faith in Christ alone, by grace alone. Our salvation, our eternal life is secured only by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and our belief in that and him as a sacrifice for our sins. This is because man's failure to meet God's righteous laws and God's righteous demand of perfection in our lives only can bring God's wrath upon the human race. So there has to be this other law that upends this law of ignoring God when we when we seek to what Paul says, when we turn from sowing to the flesh and sow into the spirit. So what's it mean to sow into the spirit? 
again, thinking about the bigger picture of Galatians, in Galatians you see this consistent theme of this link between faith in Christ alone as sufficient for our salvation, as the Lord our righteousness, on the one hand, and on the other hand, the presence and power of the Holy Spirit through that faith on the other hand. In in Galatians, it is the person who relies solely on Christ for their salvation, the Christ who loved them and gave himself up for them, and who keeps on relying on Jesus as he is in the gospel. That is also the person who receives the Spirit and is able to keep walking in the Spirit's power. That's why Paul says in chapter 3, did you receive the Spirit? Listen, he's talking about the Holy Spirit. Watch the link between the Spirit and our hope in Jesus. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by believing what you heard? Which was it? Your performance or your belief? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? In another place, Paul says, we prayed it earlier, I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained by observing the law, if my righteous standing before God could be gained by performing for God, then Christ died for nothing. It was needless for him to die. I can do it myself. But the whole gospel screams out to us. You cannot do it yourself. You have to trust in Christ and walk with God by the power of his Holy Spirit or else it won't happen. So here in this passage, we know that Paul doesn't call us from sowing to the flesh to sowing to the law. And this is so important. He doesn't call us from sinning against God to simply making it on our own by obeying the law of God. He calls us from a a life of sin to a life of hoping in Jesus. Hoping in all that Jesus is for us, in his death, resurrection, and ascension, and his intercession for us, as we've been talking about for a few weeks, before the right hand of God. And the opening he's made for us to come before our new heavenly father through Jesus for all that we need to live for Jesus. And so vital and foundational to sowing to the spirit So vital to investing in a spiritual harvest is repenting. Not from sin to the law, but repenting from sin to Jesus. Agreeing with God, yes, that our sin is unholy. Agreeing with God that if we continue walking in those ways, we will reap destruction. And that it destroys and it kills. But then turning, not to our ability and our performance, but to faith in Jesus as our righteousness. And through believing in God's acceptance of us through the work of Jesus, we receive the Holy Spirit. And in protecting this hope in Jesus, we protect our relationship with the Holy Spirit. We fan into flame his power in us. And that flame of the Holy Spirit is so essential because it is only the Holy Spirit who makes it possible for us to follow God. It is only the Holy Spirit who purifies and strengthens our desires. It is only the Holy Spirit who gives us power over our flesh. It is only the Holy Spirit who gives us and makes it an actual delight to obey God. It is only the Holy Spirit who gets us over those times where we just we don't want to spend time with him. We don't want to go ask that person forgiveness. We are hopeless that we can overcome this thing. 
But then we go to him. We go to God through Jesus and we plead the blood and we come to his throne for grace and mercy. And you know what's happening in those moments? The Holy Spirit is giving us power that we don't have to overcome this, this other law of our flesh, this other law of, of spiritual truth. And he overcomes it in us. See, you and I will, will never live very long trying to both walk by the Spirit and produce spiritual fruit and at the same time earn our acceptance before God by our performance. Eventually, we will collapse either into self-righteousness and arrogance and better-than-anybody-else-ism and criticalism that, that comes from self-reliance and turns us into Pharisees and judges and blamers, or will collapse by exhaustion that comes from seeing ourselves fail and becoming cynical and sad and die by self-condemnation, a spiritual death. When Marie was just a tiny girl, you know, like, I don't know if I'm a kind of, I still feel like I'm kind of a new parent, so I don't know if this is your experience, but it's like, I feel like I only remember, like, Marie as a tiny girl. Like, everything... All the other kids, I don't remember anything else. Like, she began the destruction of all my memory cells, the end of my sleep. So I have all these memories of Marie, and I'm just like, John is now six, and I can barely remember doing anything with him. Matthew, he just pummels me into forgetfulness. I just get concussed. Last night, Matthew was literally just pounding into my skull. I mean, he's an amazing kid. I love him. Anyway, I'm, I'm going on a tangent that has no relevance to this message, but... When Marie was tiny, there were two big things about her. Many big, but two big things in this story. She loved water. She still loves water. She's a great swimmer, but she, she loved water so early. She was a little fish. Just loved water. And she had no fear of life. Like, there was no, there was no wisdom in that little heart. That's a bad combination when you're at a lake. So one day we were on vacation at Lake Erie up near Buffalo in Canada. And Marie wanted me to take her out to these docks on the water near a boathouse. And as I held her in my arms, I walked from the beach out to the docks. What's awesome about lakes is, the Great Lakes, is there's no real big waves. It's like the best place to vacation for little kids, especially Lake Erie. You can go out for, for long distances like a football yard before those waves, before the water. Waves are hardly ever there. Before the water gets very high. It's great for little kids. But the docks were kind of way out there. So as I held her in my arms, I walked from the beach out to the docks, and pretty soon the water was up to my neck. And pretty soon I realized that I would would have to swim her to the dock because the water was going to eventually get over my head. I didn't know that. And, And I tried for a moment to both hold her and walk. and I mean to both hold her and swim. I was awful. It's terrible. It was completely terrifying. I mean... We were both going to die. That was what was going to happen. I could not both swim and hold her up. I am not even like Michael Phelps, like three-year-old cousin. Like I'm not. If I took her out over my head, we would both be left with nothing to hold on to. And we would not live long. If I was going to hold her up, I had to have something to stand on. I cannot live long trying both to walk by the Holy Spirit and at the same time earn my acceptance before God. 
without his acceptance in the gospel to stand on, neither my sanity nor my good works will last. I cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit of Jesus if I'm not relying on and hoping in and believing in the person and promises of Jesus and thereby experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. If I do not believe that God is for me, despite all of my crap and all of my awfulness, if I, if I do not believe that God will help me, despite all of my crap and all of my awful, awfulness, every attempt to deny my flesh and fulfill some good work will just become a, a, eventually an exhausting, heavy burden. Or if I'm successful, it will become a means of self-righteousness and cynicism. But for me, mostly, it just becomes exhausting. I, I end up wanting to run from him, from his truth, from his good, and I just fulfill my own, my own fleshly desires for ease and entertainment, whatever it might be. You know, we all have our own flavors. But when I walk by faith and his love for me, and faith in his spirit to walk with me through whatever it is he calls me to, I find that his yoke is easy. I find that his burden does become to be light, and I do begin to find rest for my soul. So again, crucial to sowing to the spirit is maintaining our grip on the gospel of grace. That's why we we preach it so often. That's why we sing about it so often. And I know I I can sit in your pews. I, I know it can become this glazy, glossy thing. Jesus died for my sins. And it's, we need the Holy Spirit to make it relevant, to make it true, to make it real for us again. But that is why we try to bring it to each other. We try to bring each other to Jesus so often. Because when we lose our hold on his love for us and what he's done for us and how he secured our friendship with God forever, it's like bending a garden hose, you know? It doesn't mean the spirit isn't in us. When we were born again, the spirit came to live in us forever. But when you lose your grip on God's love for you, God's power, God's for you-ness. You, you, you basically crank that hose so the spirit can't flow out anymore. What comes out is other stuff and it always directs you towards the flesh. So, trusting in Jesus' love for us, relying on his spirit's help, we walk in a new way. And now, now you have the power through the spirit to repent of that hateful thought and that person who offended you and instead pray for them and so do his spirit. Now you have the power of Jesus' spirit, to go to your child, confess your anger, and you're sowing into the spirit. Now you have the power from Jesus' spirit to turn from laziness and invest in your wife's heart with affectionate care as you sow into the spirit. Now you have the power to give to the poor, trusting God's going to provide for you. Now you have the power of Jesus' spirit to turn away from meaningless dribble on your phone, spend time with him, crying out for the strength even to do it knowing that he provides a way out of every temptation. He provides the grace. He provides the mercy we need. And after every time that we've fallen in sin and we come in feeling condemned, we come in feeling like we've already lost the battle. But instead, we, instead of wallowing in that, we resist the devil's call to give up the fight. We resist the devil's call to wallow in that sin and Embrace it further. We resist, we resist the devil's call to wallow in self-condemnation. And instead, we remember Jesus is our righteousness. My performance was okay in my eyes yesterday, and today it's awful. Do you know what? Both days, Jesus is my righteousness. And I got to go to him. I got to clean it up with him. I say, Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Cleanse me. But if... If my righteousness could be gained by 
obeying you, you died for nothing. But you did not die for nothing. You died so that after I sin horribly against you, I can get back up off the mat and keep going with you. That's why you died. You died for crappy people. You didn't die for perfection people. And so when I end up walking in crappy ways, I'm a perfect candidate for your grace. But the devil will tell you differently. He'll tell you you're hopeless. He'll tell you once again you blew it. And you just need to embrace that further and just give into it. Give up on God. When you don't, you're sowing to the Spirit. And you're going to reap from that. And as if Paul could read some of our minds as we battle with, with what it means to do this, to fight that fight. He says, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. Let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we'll reap if we do not give up. Paul can, can hear us thinking about what it would mean to sow into the spirit and keep fighting the good fight. And he says, I know it's going to tempt you to weariness. You deeply long for growth and and a breakthrough in your walk with God. You're seeking him in his word. You are praying. You're spending time with others who love you and know you and pray with you. Your life is imperfect, but you're seeking to be accountable and honest. Yet you feel dry and cold in your walk with God right now. You're getting weary of that. You want to feel the way you know God wants you to feel and enjoy him. You've been lovingly training your child, praying for change, seeking to be faithful as a parent, but you don't see any harvest. You're growing weary in that. Let me tell you, a lot of times the harvest we're seeking to see in our children is really a harvest God's seeking to grow in us. Right? I mean, a lot of times those challenges of parenting are are more about what God is trying to show us and reveal in us. But it's still a harvest he wants to give. You're repenting of pornography. You've begun to see more of a distance between you and your last major failure. And where you are now. But the battle is fierce. You're tempted again. And you feel you must be doing something wrong. Because you're so tired of fighting in circles. Paul says, no, no, no. Don't, don't grow weary. You've been serving. You've been pouring into this church for so long. It just seems like God isn't doing what we want him to. We're falling short of where we, we need to be. Paul says, reaping and sowing. They don't happen at the same time. Don't give up. You know, especially in our world where speed is king, it's so hard to resist the temptation to give up, right? I mean, every movie clip, every story, every Amazon purchase, it's just a click away. I mean, these phones are doing crazy things to our brains. That's a really well-thought-out sentence. (laughs) These phones are doing crazy things to our brains. I was watching a movie the other night with Jen, and, I, and it was a good movie. And I, and I'm, I was realizing I'm, I'm watching this movie, and all this input from the movie, it's not exactly what I need now. I need to be watching the movie and then also checking other things on my phone. That's crazy. Like it wasn't. It, that's I had no reason to be checking the phone. I wasn't at work. I wasn't waiting for anything. It was just. It was. I couldn't. You know. <laughs> I mean, what will be the next thing? I'll be watching a movie, checking my phone, and I don't know what the latest meta-tech move will be that will addict the human race further to insatiable appetite for constant, constant sowing, you know, or constant reaping. Speed is king. But in God's economy, speed is not king. Jesus is king. 
He's the one who says when the race is over and when the harvest is ready. And it's not us. He's the God who let Moses walk through 80 years before the harvest of Moses' character was ready for the mission God had for him. He's the God who let Job lose not just his house, not just his wealth, not just his kids, and then his, then his body itself before God finally appeared and spoke through the whirlwind. Job's heart was ready. So when we're weary, we need to take hold of the promise. And this principle is cause and effect. It works not just about the flesh. It works in the spirit. No matter how long it takes, spiritual sowing, if we do not give up, will certainly lead to spiritual reaping. The harvest is coming. There will be a foretaste in this life of wonderful harvest. And the biggest harvest will be on that last day. When Jesus says, well done, good and faithful servant. And, you know, I just, as an aside, I want to say, when it comes to weariness, there are sometimes battles to wage that might seem less than super spiritual. But they can be so key when you're weary. Ways that might involve getting the sleep you're not getting. You know, uh, Jen and I have been dealing with one of our children who just, he's really having a hard time sleeping um, in through the night. He's just been fearful, and he comes in multiple times. And I've been, you know, kind of a stickler for training him to stay in his room and sleep through the night. But my wife is having a hard time sleeping, and I'm having a hard time sleeping. And we are wiped out. Like, we got three other kids. We got a little baby, too. And so, you know, I just made a decision. We're just going to let this guy cuddle with us for a while. Like, when he comes in, in this season, it's not about three more times of him learning. It's about cuddling and going right to sleep so that all of us can get some hours that we need to get. And, I mean, it, it's just, when it, it's having an effect, you know? We're not just souls. We're bodies. And temptations can come upon us that because our bodies aren't getting what they need, they just get a foothold that they wouldn't if we were sleeping right, if we were eating right. That doesn't sound super spiritual, but it's just wisdom about how God made us. For some of us, not growing weary will be helped by getting outside and seeing God's beautiful creation, gardening, going canoeing, enjoying the beauty that he has made for us to take in and be fed by. It might involve getting your mind on something you enjoy. That's good. Like spending more time with your kids. A great book or a hobby that gives your mind a a chance to declamp from whatever is wearying you. And sometimes it just means you need to lay into the godly friends that God's given you and have a cry. (laughs) Get on the phone with somebody who really knows you and really loves you and bawl. Because you're exhausted. And because it's a safe place. That doesn't sound super spiritual. But that can be exactly what you need. And then they, after hearing you bawl, they can remind you of the God who won't leave you, who won't abandon you. But of all things, weariness, it does probably mean in almost every case that you need to meet with his promises. You need to meet with his commitment to love you and be faithful to you. You need to wash yourself in his mercy over your life and his tenderness to you that you can't necessarily feel or see while you're weary. Because those promises, those are like, those are the fuel. The Holy Spirit lights the spark and they blaze into renewed strength and renewed hope. 
And finally, a word to, to you who may not be a believer in Christ. God made you to love you and obey him. If you're here and you don't know him, he made you to love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? Just like all of us, you don't. You don't love him as you ought. You don't love your neighbor as you ought. And God is holy. He won't be mocked. And you, like all of us, deserve to reap what you've sown. You do not deserve God's love and his mercy and his grace. You deserve judgment. But there's a greater law than the law of reaping and sowing to our flesh. It's the law of the gospel in which Jesus Christ reaped what you sowed on the cross so that we can reap what he sowed in his life of righteousness and his goodness. And if by God's grace you're willing to admit that you are a sinner who needs Jesus to forgive you and you will believe him for his free gift of forgiveness, he will give it to you. He will save you. He will declare you not guilty and righteous forever. And more than that, he will change you. He will put his Holy Spirit within you and give you power you don't have so that instead of sowing into your sinful desires, you can sow into his spirit and reap eternal life through his promises. May we all by his grace be able to either do that for the first time today or renew that with him today. Let's pray. Lord, we, we thank you so much for your Holy Spirit, God. We thank you so much for not only creating us, not only coming in your Son to die and rise and intercede for us, but coming in the person of your Holy Spirit to enter our hearts and to give us power to walk with you, to give us power to know you, to give us power to love you and to actually want you. God, we thank you for the beautiful way you have made it so that when we hold on to Jesus and his gospel, that when we remember again that he is our righteousness, Lord, that fans into flame the power of the Holy Spirit in us so that we can start to give you more and more the love you deserve, not out of slavish effort, but because we're feasting on your faithfulness, because we're leaning on what your son has done and and how your spirit is starting to swell within us and produce the fruit that only he can produce in our hearts and out of our lives. Oh Lord, we want more of love and peace and joy and faithfulness and gentleness and kindness, and self-control. We want more of your Spirit's fruit. Help us, Lord, to turn from sowing into the flesh and repent, Lord, not to the law of performing to earn it, but turn to Jesus, our righteousness, and to be renewed in the power of your Holy Spirit to produce all that, Lord, is so beautiful that we want out of our lives. And may, Lord, that fruit not just be for ourselves, but for one another here in this room and in our church family. And, Lord, may that fruit not just be for ourselves and our church, but may it begun to be, Lord, delighted in by the lost around us. 
God, as we talked about at the prayer meeting on Friday night, Jesus is worth bold, big, audacious prayers like this. Heal our hearts. Heal our church. Make our lives trophies of your grace that bring more of your grace to one another. And that outstrip this room and this church family and bring more of your grace to the lost around us. God, we are completely incapable in ourselves of bringing that to pass, but you are completely capable of doing it. So we boldly ask you to do that. We tell, we tell you and the world that your son is worthy of that prayer and worthy of accomplishing it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.